You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from ProDM. And this week, after much ado, we are finally coming to the end of our fiends. It has been a long road, but hopefully you've learned something, so that way by the end of this you can say there's at least one devil you know. Like the expression, the devil you know? I can't tell you how excited I am to talk about a different monster. You can find the Devils on page 61 of the 5th edition Monster Manual. And even though we are on our last Fiend episode, we have a lot of Devils to cover today. We're going to dive right in. We are talking about the Horned Devil, the Arenes, the Ice Devil, and the Pit Fiend. So like our previous Devil episodes, we're going to do one Devil at a time rather than doing all of them at once. So we're going to start with the lowest CR. We're going to go from low CR to high CR, starting with the CR11 Horned Devil. Uh, maybe the most stereotypical devil, the horned devil, or the Malabranche, is a humanoid devil with sort of big horns, where it gets its name, big wings, spiked tails, and it wields like a fork or a bident. In the lore, they're described as lazy and belligerent, but then they also are described as following their orders to the letter, which feels like the opposite of being lazy and belligerent. Like I said, they are CR 11. They are a large fiend. They have 60-foot fly speed. They've got great stats, great saves, all the normal devil resistances, including dark vision, telepathy, devil sight, magic resistance. And then they've got multi-attack with their fork, a tail that once again deals kind of like a wounding hit. And then they have a hurl flame power that is similar to the spine devil that we talked about on our last devil episode. Now, over the editions, they have gone by different names. In first edition, they first appear as the Malabranche, uh, where they have pretty much the same powers as in 5e, although they do have the kind of random spell-like abilities, as well as a fear aura that was pretty ubiquitous across almost any kind of fiend back in the day. They also make a point of a few specific name suggestions for Horned Devils, names that are, some of them that are good, like Dog Wretch, which I think is pretty solid, but then also evil tail as two words and bent wing which not as good in second edition they get renamed again and now they're called the cornagons and here they are described as being very loyal and very militaristic which is probably where you get the they follow orders to the letter idea that we see in 5e in 3e there's not much additional flavor given but they do wield a spiked chain and they have kind of a weird stun effect the spiked chain's pretty cool the stunning nah who cares in 4E, they are renamed again, and this time they are just called the War Devil, and they have lots of tactical powers, including a devilish transposition, which allows them to swap places with another devil. Now, my favorite thing about them in 5E is kind of stupid. It's about the art, but specifically, I like that they have these really weird button noses, like they're like weirdly cute reindeer nose on the face of this like very mean-looking devil. More seriously, uh, on a mechanical note, I do like we see the wounding power again. It kind of feels like we're seeing it enough times now that it should maybe be its own condition. Like if a creature is wounded, they take a certain amount of damage. It's weird to reprint it in this big block every single time. I feel like that could be a cool condition and we could just move on, you know? 
My least favorite thing is that the lore is pretty boring and inconsistent. Are they lazy or are they devoted? Of the two of them, I think devoted is kind of more interesting. I like the idea of there being this almost middle management phase to weed out the slightly less ambitious devils that like anyone who gets promoted to a horned devil kind of gets stuck in this rung where they don't really want to advance. They're just very loyal. Every once in a while, a horned devil will kind of wake up and realize like, wait, I've been a horned devil for thousands of years. I got to do something. I got to advance my station. But otherwise, they tend to just kind of follow orders. It's like a weird little black hole that, that Asmodeus put into the devil advantage. To, to prevent there from being too many high-level devils. I think that could be interesting, and it would be entirely lore. It wouldn't be in the mechanics at all. My improvement, though, would be to say that, again, mechanically, not tons is going on here. It's a little silly to me that they're not better aerial fighters. It feels like they should have fly-by attack or something like that. Also weird to call them horned devils, give them gigantic horns, and then not give them a horn attack? I feel like you could easily do like a flyby or almost like a like a dive bomb power where they swoop down and bonk you with their horns. It just feels like a missed opportunity to not have them use their giant horns and also to not have their flight be more relevant. But that is the Horned Devil, the first of our four entrants today. Next up, we'll be talking about probably my favorite of the four, the Rennies, coming up next. Described in the lore as fallen angels, the Irenes, Irenes, you're going to have to forgive my pronunciation on this. I think it's Irenes, but I'm constantly mispronouncing it or changing it slightly. They're the Furies, right? The concept is that these are righteous devils of punishment. They appear as sort of beautiful humanoids, often in heavy black armor, occasionally wielding these long ropes of entanglement. Mechanically, they are a CR-12 medium fiend. They have a 60-foot fly speed, they've got great stats, great saves, normal devil resistances. They've got true sight, rather than dark vision, out to 120 feet, plus telepathy. They've got hellish weapons that deal extra poison damage, which is cool. Uh, they have magic resistances, they have multi-attack with a poisoned longsword and a longbow, and plus a parry reaction. And then that rope of entanglement is in a sidebar in 5th edition. In 1st edition, they are described as being female, but they can also sometimes appear male if they choose to. They have poisoned daggers, and they have ropes of entanglement, and they're described as most often being sent to tempt mortals. So they almost have a little bit of like a succubus-incubus thing going on. In 2e, they're much more like the succubus in that they actually attempt to charm people. They're also described as being able to enter the prime material plane unsummoned, which I really like. They're sometimes even described as like refusing promotion, that they so much enjoy their work as tempters that they kind of stay there. Obviously that fractured off into the Succubus Incubus, but I think some of that is still pretty cool and usable lore. It's in 3rd edition that the concept of them as fallen angels first appears, but not a lot else is added in that edition. 4th edition takes a wholly different approach to them and makes them battlefield commanders, which I feel like we have seen a couple different devils fall into this role. Uh, they have lots of powers to empower other devils around them, and then in the lore, they are described as enforcers of contracts, which I actually think is kind of a cool bend to them. I think the Urenes is the coolest of the devils. It's a really nice blend of sort of Greek mythology, obviously with the Furies, a little bit of like celestial feeling, like the notion of the fallen angel, and they have kind of like an infernal twist on them, obviously, because they're devils. I feel like some of the drawbacks is that their lore is not especially well sketched out. Like, there's really good stuff in here. I love the idea of them tormenting mortals on the material plane. I love the idea of them being fallen celestials. It feels like a good kind of place to put a fallen angel if you're not going to either have it as a template on the angel, say, if they're specifically seduced by or trapped in a contract with 
hell they turn into these particular types of fiends, which I think is really nice. Mechanically, not tons to recommend them. They start to hint at the idea of them being fallen angels with them having these hellish weapons that deal poison damage, though poison at this level not particularly useful. Um, also doesn't help them fight other devils. But frustratingly, the Rope of Entanglement, which is a cool magic item, is gated off in a sidebar. Like I don't understand why they, they love to put the coolest part of the monster, usually depicted in the art, in a sidebar. Put that in the stat block. What are we doing? Who cares? Why not? It's not going to make a huge difference. My suggested improvement would be that we lean more into the Fallen Angel idea, and maybe even give them kind of stranger versions of Deva or Planetar powers. Um, I love the idea of an, the opposite of divine awareness, where with divine awareness, the planetar can always tell if someone is lying to it. I love the idea that no one can tell if the Arrhenius is lying, right? That, like, they cannot be incited or whatever. They have the opposite effect. You know, you could do, like, uh, rather than a healing touch, you could do kind of like a draining touch where they suck power out, almost like a succubus. I even think you could do almost like a torment effect where they can sort of drive someone mad with uh, guilt or with shame or whatever, right? If you really want to lean into that fury idea, I feel like that kind of plays on this notion more that, you, that they hound their foes. Maybe they can mark them. Maybe they can instill fear, I guess, or, or torment might be an interesting new condition you could play with, right? Yeah, and that's the Arrhenes. I think they're cool. I dig them. I think they could use a little bit of work to make them really live up to their potential, but there is a lot of cool potential there. It's also a very cool page in the 5th edition Monster Manual because you've got the Chain Devil on one side and the Arrhenes on the other. I also feel like it's weird they don't have a devil name. It's one of the few that just doesn't have one. I feel like you could say that they are, you know, Torment Devils or Torture Devils or something like that if you wanted. Fury, furious Devil, I don't know. Next up, though, we are talking about the second most powerful devil in the 5th edition Monster Manual, and that is the Ice Devil, coming up next. Now, of all the devils in 5th edition, I think the Ice Devil has the stupidest non-devil name, which is the Gelugon? Galugon? Uh, not very cool. The concept, though, is that they are described as a general and a commander of the devilish legions. Gee, where have we heard this before? They resemble sort of a gigantic cricket or like praying mantis, like a giant insect that is made from ice. Um, and then in a sidebar, they are described as wielding an ice spear. Mechanically, they are a CR-14 large fiend. They have good stats, great saves, normal devil resistances. They have blind sight 60 feet instead of true sight like the Arrhenes has. They have telepathy, devil sight, and magic resistance. And then they have multi-attack with a bite, claw, and a tail, all of which deal cold damage. And then they also have a wall of ice power, which is basically the size of the rest of the stat block combined. Uh, they also have these cool ice spears that slow a target, but that is... Once again, relegated to a sidebar. Now, this baffling decision to make their cool weapon optional goes all the way back to 1st edition. That's probably what they're referencing here in 5e. I don't understand why you would take that cue from 1st edition, but we've seen that time and time again. In 2nd edition, they make a specific point of how an Ice Devil is chosen for promotion up to a Pit Fiend. They have to serve for 777 years. Feels like a missed opportunity to have it be 666. Maybe that's a Satanic Panic thing. 
And then after that, they have to suffer for 1,001 days of torture in the, quote, Pit of Fire, capital P, capital F, and then they are promoted to a pit fiend. There's something about that that I like. I kind of think it'd be fun to see what are all the other different requirements to advance to the next level, although it's kind of at odds with our infernal bargain power. It is a cool notion, though. In 3rd edition, both their tail and the spear inflicted not just cold but also slow on the target, which is conceivably something they could do here if they wanted to give them more of a stinger instead of just a big flat slapping tail. And then in 4th edition, they really, really cranked the ice angle. They could freeze people solid with a word, they had a cold aura, they even had a freezing breath, which I feel like is a little too far, but still cool and innovative. My favorite thing about them, obviously I think their spears are cool, I'm bummed that they're in the sidebar, so you know what I'm going to say when we get to improvements, but I actually really like that they're immune to fire. That's one of my favorite things about them is that all devils are immune to fire. So it's not like that's a unique thing. But the fact that they're ice devils, you would assume that they would say like, oh, okay, this is the one that maybe has a weakness to fire. Nope, it's like a, it's a lovely troll. It's this like weird bug made of ice. The first thing you're going to assume is throw a fireball at it and it will have no effect. Not even resistant to fire, immune to fire. Love that. Love a cold creature that's immune to fire. Now, my complaint is that Wall of Ice as a power is far too complex for its use. It's a recharge six, and what it does isn't especially interesting. You know, you can wall things off, you can do some battlefield control, but it's way, way, way more complicated than the little bit of damage that it's going to end up doing overall, right? There's, you've got to talk about the wall's hit points and its AC and its vulnerability and all of this stuff when I feel like there are cooler ways to do battlefield control that don't require such a heavy emphasis on uh, grid, you know, because it's this many squares and it's this tall and all of this stuff, where most of the time you're going to be in theater of the mind and a lot of that's going to be lost. So my recommendation is to pop the ice spear back into the main part of the stat block, the slowing effect is useful for battlefield control, and maybe bring back the cold aura, and maybe even bring back the, the chilling command, right, which freezes a target solid if they speak a particular word or, or shout at them or whatever. You know, something along these lines that gives them more battlefield control, but doesn't necessarily require you to have an entire novel about how they work mechanically. Yeah, that's the Ice Devil. They don't particularly grab me. I think it's kind of weird that they're slightly more powerful than the Arenis. I think the Arenis is a cooler devil that should be second in command but for some reason it's the ice devil but coming up next we are talking about the biggest meanest nastiest devil in all the nine hells that's right the pit fiend Now, short of an actual archdevil, the Pit Fiend is the most powerful devil you're going to find in the Nine Hells. They rule directly below Asmodeus and the other archdevils. They're described almost as like a sort of a twisted aristocracy of the Nine Hells. Physically, they resemble huge red-scaled fiends with maces and with long whip-like tails. Uh, they are mechanically a CR-20 large fiend. A 60-foot fly speed, they've got great stats, of course, great saves, normal devil resistances, they've got true sight, they have a fear aura within 20 feet, of course they have magic resistance, they have innate spell casting that has detect magic and fireball at will, plus hold monster and wall of fire three times per day each, and they have multi-attack with a poison bite, a claw attack, a tail, and then a mace that deals a little bit of extra fire damage. And that is the Pit Fiend, as it's represented in 5th edition. 
Now, in first edition, they make a point that they, quote, all have individual names, end quote. And in addition to its kind of random spell-like abilities that a lot of devils have, the Pit Fiend can specifically make a symbol of pain, which is really, really cool and something I probably want to bring back. I love the way, though, that in first edition they make a point about, like, there are only X number of Baylors, there are only X number of Death Knights, there are only X number of Pit Fiends. Something about that makes them feel really significant. If you encounter one, you know it's only one of the six or seven of them that exist. In second edition, they get a wish spell once per year. Happy birthday. And there's an implication that they serve greater powers, but, like, wouldn't that just be the Archdevils? Like, I don't understand, like, they imply, like, there there might be more powerful devils. I'm like, yeah, the Archdevils. Like, that's not, maybe they didn't exist in 2nd edition? I feel like they did, because that's when Planescape came out. I'm not sure. In 3rd edition, the Bite didn't do poison, but instead infected them with a disease called Devil Chills, which is kind of a silly name, but diseases are cool. They also had a bunch more spell-like abilities at will, things like Invisibility and Power Word Stun and Mass Hold Monster, which is pretty gnarly. In 4E, it has both an aura of fear and of fire, plus a tail that's both flaming and poison, plus an individual fear power, plus the ability to summon more devils, and then, once they summon them in, teleport them around the field. Fourth edition, as the internet likes to say, understood the assignment. My favorite thing about 5th edition's Pit Fiend is probably Fireball at will. I mean, obviously we're at CR 20 here, so there's going to be a lot more powerful things going on. Hard not to look at that and understand just how boss that is. Also hard to imagine an encounter with a Pit Fiend going any other way than the Pit Fiend flying up in the air and fireballing round after round after round until, you know, the fighter or the paladin, whoever has the worst deck save, is dropped. There's something cool about this is a high-level monster. It can do this powerful ability as much as it wants. That said, though, there's not a lot else going on here. Kind of like I said with the Baylor, this monster should feel like the be-all, end-all, and it just doesn't do that. It just does not feel like a campaign villain. There are no legendary actions, there's no lair actions, there's nothing like that. Obviously, that's going to be where I want to place emphasis on redesigning them. I would bring back the auras. I feel like the fire aura definitely makes sense. But even more than that, I think that the fear aura should be cranked to 11. I think of any monster in Dungeons and Dragons, the Pit Fiend should be the monster that makes you the most frightened, right? I think even creatures who are immune to fear should still be afraid of the Pit Fiend. I think that it should happen every round. I don't think you should get the 24 hours thing. I think you should constantly be in a state of terror around the Pit Fiend. I think a symbol of pain is a good way to do an aura that isn't fire, especially if it's like a punishment thing, right? And that doesn't even get into legendary actions or lair actions or that kind of thing. I don't think they have to have the kind of like world warping effects that a Baylor has, because they are a little bit more orderly. Maybe you say that the Baylor has the regional effects and that the Pit Fiend has the lair actions. You are much more likely to fight a Pit Fiend in its lair and it's prepared for you than you are to fight one randomly out on the material plane. So it might be a bit of a retcon to our Baylor episode, but I would say maybe remove the lair action off the Baylor and give it to the Pit Fiend and remove the regional effects off the Pit Fiend and give it to the Baylor, right? They are different but similar. They should both, however, have legendary actions. Kind of embarrassing that they don't. And that is our devil episode. That's our final devil episode. It's our final fiend episode for a long, long time until we get to things like the Incubus or eventually the Yugoloth. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Next week, we'll be back with the first episode of our next series, and that is, drumroll please, The Dragons. Yes, that's right. Finally, it's time. We are at the name of the game. It's time to talk about dragons. But that will be next week. 
If you want to see us redesign not just these devils, but also any of the other monsters we do on our podcast, please swing by our YouTube channel at 2 p.m. on Thursdays. Where we do monster redesign streams. Where we take these ideas and we roll them into the garage and, and try to make them actually function as a workable monster. I would love to see you there. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Let's get the hell out of here and happy adventuring. Monster of the Week is a ProDM production. You can follow us on Twitter at ProDMTimothy. If you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Even $1 a month gets you access to the redesigned monsters that we discuss here on the show. You can find us at patreon.com slash ProDM. You can catch those monster redesigned streams Thursdays at 2 p.m. PST on our YouTube channel. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, used under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.